0: Blog Talk Radio. Driving on night, man's wet on the wheel. It's Talking in Circles. There's
1: a the voice on my head that drives my heel. With
0: your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My
1: baby calling I need you here.
0: And John Harlow.
1: And it's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. When she is lonely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with. My co-host, John Harlow. We're talking about all things NASCAR tonight. And the big news of the day is Eric Amarola. He will be running at Stewart House Racing in 2018 and beyond. Driving the number 10 Ford with Smithfield. They announced that today. Uh, Billy Scott will be the crew chief. Uh, There's pictures of the car if you haven't seen it yet. A lot of people have said it looks like uh, the old Skull Classic car of Rick Mast and Terry Labonte back in the day. Um, But Erica Marola, driver number 10, Stuart Haas Racing Ford. We kind of knew this, John, uh, last week when this was announced that Stuart Haas was making an announcement on Wednesday that they were going to make an announcement of the 10 car. Uh, We knew Danica was no longer going to be around there next year. Um, So now here we are with Erica Marola, driver number 10 car. We talked about it a lot last week, but what are your thoughts now that it's, it's official?
0: Um, again, we said it last week, uh, Eric Almirola has a lot to prove. And one of the things that was really interesting after the press conference and everything today, he sat down with, uh, Tim Southers and basically said, I look forward to the pressure of driving for Stuart Haas racing. He said, there's two types of athletes in the world, athletes who just want to be part of the show and athletes who want to make the show. And he feels like he's part of the latter category. He wants the pressure. He wants the ball in his hand when it comes to the game-winning shot. And he doesn't want to have an excuse that his equipment is not where it needs to be because it is at Stuart Haas Racing. So he's looking forward to this opportunity. And he even was, sort of took a step back whenever um, they did the Facebook Live and they talked about the, um, Matt Kenseth not having a ride. And he's going into this good equipment. And what did he think about it? He was sort of um, taken aback saying, yeah, I'm uh, floored to have this opportunity. And one of the things we learned in the press conference today is whenever Eric Almirola came up from Florida and was part of the Drive to Diversity program and first signed with Joe Gibbs Racing, um, Tony Stewart's the guy who took him under the wing. I mean, Tony loved Eric Almirola because if there's one thing Tony Stewart hated to do, he hated to test. And Eric Almirola would do anything to get him get himself inside the car. So Almirola and Zippadelli did all the testing, and Tony Stewart just sat back and said, okay, what do we got to do here? And um, it made it – it's a good relationship that they have. You could see uh, – even though Matt Kenseth probably has a much better resume. I mean, he definitely has a much better resume. Eric, I mean, um, Matt Kenseth is a first-bound Hall of Famer. But you can see a good relationship between Eric Almirola and Tony Stewart. And I think that's something that will pay dividends. Um, this year you saw Tony on the 14 box a lot. I think next year you might see Tony bouncing back and forth between the 14 and the 10 because I think um, – he, I think he's the one who said, I want this guy to drive for us. I think Smithfield had a say in it. But I think Tony definitely was the final say to tell Gene Haas. It's like, I'm putting my back on the line for this guy. I think he can do it. And they reverted back to the uh, race at Milwaukee whenever Eric Almirola was going to qualify and everything for Denny Hamlin. And then they st- uh, had struggles getting back from um, Sonoma so Denny could make the race. He got there about halfway through, and they switched drivers. And uh, But Eric Almirola qualified on the pole, led every lap until Denny got there, and then they went from worst to first with Denny in the car, and Eric Almirola actually got credit for the win. But, Tony, you can see how good he feels about Eric Almirola being in a car.
1: Yeah, and is an interesting character because he hasn't been with a great race team. You know, and when you look at that, you say maybe this is somebody who needs a shot. You know, his best ride in all of NASCAR that I can remember was when he drove the the 50, 15 truck, uh, the 51 truck, excuse me, for Billy Ballou Racing uh, back in 2010. Fit, won two races, finished second in points to Todd Bodine. He was very consistent that year. Uh, and really, I think that's what put Eric on on the map to a lot of people. Uh, sure. He, he ran at cup at that point. He made his cup debut and, and, uh, you know, had had some decent success. Everybody remembers also when, uh, he substituted for Mark Martin back in the A car when they were sharing some times there back in the A car, he finished eighth at Bristol. And that was a very impressive run at a really tough racetrack at Bristol in the cup series and went out there and got a top 10 run out of it. So, There's been some nice flashes for Eric Amarola. There's no doubt about it. Uh, He's proven himself on the play tracks in the Xfinity series. I mean, every time he's in that uh, 98 car on the play tracks, he's a chance to win. And, um, you know, we'll see now. This is his opportunity. There's no more, well, he doesn't have the equipment excuse for Eric Amarola because he does. I think it's an upgrade, a, a vast upgrade from Danica Patrick. I think Matt Kenseth uh, would have won more races in this car. But if you're looking at the long term stability of this team, maybe you look at it and say, well, Amarola you know, who knows how long it is? Tony Stewart wouldn't say how long this contract is. Uh, but if it's a four year deal, you know, Matt Kenseth might not be around for four years. So, you know, short term, Kenseth might have been the answer. But they're going to Eric Amarola here, John, uh, in this 10 car in 2018.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, um, most of your contracts are three years in the Cup Series. So I think they'll be able to – I don't think it – I mean, again, it's one of those ones. You don't – Eric Almirola hasn't gone out and proven he can win races every week. And the 10 car hasn't shown it can go out and win races every week. I don't know how much of it's car, how much of it's driver, because the other three cars in the Stewart Haas stable throughout the time, even when Tony Stewart was sort of checked in, checked out, it always performed better than a 10. And I think a lot of it may have had to do with driver. So this will be a good chance for Billy Scott to show what he can do. It'll be a great chance for Eric Amarola to show what he can do. And Smithfield's put their money where they're, they're backing them up. I mean, they're putting money into it. The car looks great. It does look like a lot like the old number one Skull car, but I, I really like the way it could be. And I think one of the things that will help out as well is Eric Almirola has been in a one car team where he's been the sole piece of feedback coming over here. He's going to get feedback out of Kevin Harvick. You can get feedback probably out of Kurt Busch. If they ever get that deal finished, which t- Tony still thinks it's going to work. And in reality, there aren't that many chairs left at the uh, dance for musical chairs to be left. There's a 27 that possibly be there, but might not be there. But we know Richard Childress' is racing with, uh, um, relationship with the Bush brothers has never been good, so I don't picture him going in there. But I think Kurt Bush is in the 41. But Eric Amarola is going to get information from Harvick, information from Kurt Bush, information from Clint Boyd. He's going to have Tony Stewart there to help him. He's got a great bunch of crew chiefs around him. I think it's the best opportunity he's ever had, and he's going to have to do something with it in these three years. Or Eric Amarola will be back in Tampa enjoying life as a former NASCAR racer
1: yeah and I think a lot of people saw this coming I don't think it was a surprise there's no doubt about that I think when you look at uh like you said the seats are kind of dwindling down we knew Matt last week Matt Kenseth officially wasn't going to have anything although that's been we've been calling out for a couple of months here that it looked like Kenseth was going to be on the outside looking in um so I don't think this came as a surprise uh the Smithfield thing you know, I think that was the only thing holding this deal up was how how are they going to get Smithfield on Amarola's car? Smithfield now struck a deal with Richard Petty Motorsports to get that clause that was a big bugaboo out of the way to drive that 10 car and now he's he's there so um Smithfield is there they listen, they're very committed um and you got to give them credit you know no I don't know how long this deal is, but um it's gonna be interesting to see just how this car performs next year because I've been very hard on Danny Patrick. We've been very hard on Danica Patrick. Um, I think the way we've compared this 10 car to the teammates, to their teammates, we look at it and say, well, that's the driver. They got. He's got to be in the ballpark as far as what Suhas Racing is. He's got to be competing for the playoffs, like I said last week. Um, and that's to me, that's in the ballpark because if he's not doing that, if he's, you know, where Danica is 20th, 25th in points and struggling – then he's not doing his job there. I think Amarola will do that. I mean, he's made the chase or been close to making the chase at Richard Petty Motorsports, and I think this is a better ride for him. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see. You know, he had run at Richard Petty Motorsports in a nine car, and a bud car, uh, subbing for Casey Kane when Kane moved on uh, a bunch of years ago, back in 2010, I believe that was. And that was probably his best ride. I finished fourth in homestead, had a really good run. Again, there's been nice flashes for Erica Marola, real good, some real good flashes of brilliance, but he's got to put it all together here at Stuart Haas Racing. Um, you touched on the, on the Kurt Busch deal, and that's something I want to, to dive into as well, because uh, it is Stuart Haas Racing. It's going to be his teammate in that 41 car. You know, I think what's holding this deal up is the fact of Monster. You know, Monster's st- still him and Hall, and, and on whether or not they're going to come back as the series sponsor in the Cup Series. After next season. And I think once they figure out what they're doing there, and if Monster comes back in whatever capacity they come back in on that 41 car, then they can figure out how much money Kurt Bush is going to make. And, you know, I think Kurt thinks he's got some leverage. I think he's trying to get every dollar he can out of it. I don't blame him. That's his job. But I think he's saying, I have some leverage here. There's no leverage out there. I'm sorry. You could save Richard Children's Racing, but. If I'm Kurt Busch, I am not leaving the 41 car for, for the 27 at Richard Childress Racing. I don't care how much money it pays. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, so to me, the, the, all the leverage is in Gene Haas's court right now and Tony Stewart's court right now. And they're just kind of sitting there saying, here's the contract. We're going to wait for Kurt to sign it when he realizes he's got no other options.
0: Um, I'm 100% with you on that. I think uh, Kurt Busch owes his driving career right now to Gene Haas. Because you think about it, um, Kurt Busch pissed away an unbelievable ride that is Brad Keselowski's today. Kurt Busch was in that in that two car, and he was phenomenal in that two car. Then he went to the twenty. I mean, they switched it, made it to twenty-two, where he was driving for Pennzoil, and he did really well. He was a top ten driver, made the chase with Penske, and then his attitude got in the way. And he was driving for James Finch and then furniture Row took a chance on him and he wound up doing well at furniture row. And I mean, to be honest with you, if Tony Stewart doesn't wreck that sprint car, I don't know if Kurt Busch is ever at Stuart Haas racing, because I don't think Tony Stewart wanted him to begin with. Once he got him, they became good teammates. Uh, Kurt Busch knows a lot about the car. Once they got him matched up with Tony Gibson, It turned out to be a really solid team. But Kurt Busch owes his career for the last three years, four years plus, to Gene Haas. And Gene Haas stuck his neck out, put his name on the car, and signed the deal. And then Kurt brought Monster in for half a season. And I think the pay went up whenever Monster came with Kurt Busch. I think Kurt Busch still wants to be paid what he gets right now. And Monster's not sure they want to be there. So once Monster makes a decision, I mean, I think there's probably two contracts sitting on the table for Kurt Busch, and he's just waiting to sign one of them for whatever Monster decides to do what they're going to do. If Monster's back, Kurt Busch is probably going to be close to the same amount of money he's making now. If Monster doesn't come back, Gene Haas doesn't want to pay as much as he does because he's got to put Haas automation on Clint Boyer's car for a lot of the year next year because the sponsorships just aren't there.
1: No doubt. Um, and, you know, obviously Matt Kenseth doesn't think he's a, he's a candidate for that 41 car. So it, it, to me, it look you look at it mutually and you say, Stuart Haas racing wants Kurt Busch in the 41. Kurt Busch wants to be back in the 41 at Stuart Haas racing. So really that deal is just waiting to, to cross the T's and dot the I's and figure out, uh, monetarily what, what to do. Um, but overall that's going to happen. Uh, there's really, you know, as far as the Silly season is concerned, mm-hmm. after that, John, there's really not much else. I mean, um, you know, you could look at it and say, well, 34 is still up in the air. That's for sure. Uh, you know, the rumors are Michael McDowell's going to be going there next season, driving a 34 car. Landon Castle, who's been in the 34 car this year, it uh, looks like who knows where he's going to go. Um, you know, there's just not a whole lot of, of competitive rides out there right now. You know, Matthew Benedetto's is going to be back in the 32. He announced that for next year. He announced that a couple of months ago, so that ride's solid. Jeffrey Earnhardt's going to be back in the 33 car as well. Um, so there's just not a whole lot of opportunities out there for a guy like Landon Castle, and there's just not a lot of silly season news right now um, to fill in as far as 2018 goes because really all we need to know is who's driving a 34 car, and then it's basically uh, a lot of the back-end of the field teams that that are just going to be filling up the races.
0: Yeah. There's really not a whole lot out there to uh, talk about anymore when it comes to silly season, because whoever goes in, whatever those cars that are left, I mean, you've got the 15, which nobody really cares about. You've got the 51, which nobody really cares about, except whenever it spins three or four times when nobody's near them. Uh, you've got the 72 with Cole Witt. You don't know whether or not they're going to be back next year. Um There's really, I mean, the only car that could be somewhat competitive that's sitting there without a driver and without a sponsor right now is a 27 car. And you've heard nothing. I mean, Richard Childress said whenever um, Paul Paul Menard was going to go away, and he said, we'll announce a driver and a sponsor at a later date. Well, Richard, it's late. Um, Yeah. The date's here. We're almost to Homestead. And if you don't have a driver or a sponsor, you might be without a charter or you're going to do something, the old typical start and park to have a car out there to keep the charter alive and see what you can do with it. That's the only thing I could see going on. That could be something where uh, Landon Castle, because he, whenever he got back into the Cup Series, he wound up starting and parking for a while. There could mm-hmm. be a candidate for Jeff Green to come back to uh, Richard Childress <laughs> Racing. And Jeff Green's a king of starting parks these days, so that's the only thing I could see happening with the um twenty seven car is there's I mean, it could be a starting Parker just to say we can keep the ch and a little bit of money for Richard Childress
1: racing to put in the pot for the other two yeah listen i that's the only team I can see maybe going if they have a have sponsorship to do it. you know there was rumors a couple of weeks ago. About Danica Patrick and her future, um, that she was going to go to Rosh Fenway. Steve Newmark shot that down and said, "Listen, we just we want to stay two car operation. There's no way we're going to be able to expand to three car operation. Yes, we're going to have three charters. Who knows what they're going to do with the 16 charter, whether or not they sell that outright to the, to another team or whatnot. Uh, but they're going to stay a two car operation with Trevor Bain and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. next year. So Rosh isn't uh, adding a team for Danica Patrick. Now that's where Danica could go." Where Danica could go is a 27 at Richard Childress Racing. She does have a little bit of funding behind her with Aspen Dental. Uh, Apparently, they're really happy with her. They want to sponsor her next year. But she's kind of in the same boat where there's not a whole lot of great rides out there right now. Um, And if she wants to race at a smaller operation, she might be able to do that with her money that she brings. But Richard Childress and that 27 team, that's the only team I can see Danica going to. But you're right, John. It's getting late in the game. Usually... Silly season is wrapped up by September at the latest. We're sitting here on November 8th, still wrapping up, you know, putting the final touches on the silly season. Uh, so it's a very, very um, complicated situation. Uh, and sponsorship with us, as crazy as sponsorship has been, you know, who knows what happens. You could see maybe uh, Richard Childress all of a sudden announcing in December or January that Danica's is going to be there. But I think that's the only thing I could see happening. Um right now the the most interesting part to me about the silly season next year is what's going to happen with these charters and c- keeping track of that is like trying to keep track of, uh, you know, I, I can't even, it's trying to keep track of like a billion numbers at one time. It's, it's going to be nuts because with teams leasing charters and, and, you know, Richard Petty Motorsports is going to have two charters next year. They could barely feel the car, one car team, you know, and they're gonna to have to lease the other the forty three charter that they ran this year and run the forty four charter. That's where it gets very confusing. So I think that's the most interesting thing about the silly season, John, is that we're not sure what, what charter is gonna go where.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And in reality, you, me and Lee in Virginia can put our pocket chains together and buy a charter. That's how much they're worth these days. They were thinking these charters were gonna be million dollars worth of money moving around if somebody wanted to buy a charter or lease a charter or all that stuff it's the point now where there's more charters than good rides and like i said i think you me and the 44 charters out there there's a 16 charter out there there's the front row motorsports charter out there i think the 77 got sold to the 37 for jtg doherty but there's a bunch of charters out there that nobody knows what they're going to do, and it just makes it a mess.
1: Right, and uh, Wood Brothers releasing the number 32 charter, team charter this year for Go Fast Racing. So that's another one that's kind of out there. And Go Fast, whether or not they got they were releasing another charter from another team, so they're going to have – it's just – it's craziness how that all works. I think that's going to be the most interesting thing here as we get along here in the season is, yeah, there's going to be some Xfinity Series news. You know, I, I anticipate uh, Team Penske announcing their plans for the Xfinity Series. They haven't really announced that. We saw Discount Tire, a long-time sponsor in the Xfinity Series, Shirash Fenner Racing, and then Team Penske. They announced they're going to be on on Brad Keselowski's Cup Car for 10 races next year. Now, they're going to have Menard there. Uh, John Menard, I'm sure, is going to fund the Xfinity Series in some capacity, but maybe not all of it. Uh, and, I, and they still got two young drivers in the Team Penske camp over there uh, with Austin Sindrick. And Chase Briscoe, will they move to the Xfinity Series? I think that's very possible. Uh, so Xfinity and trucks, you know, trucks happen in January. And, and almost as we get ready to Daytona, these these truck uh, deals are announced. So we'll see that as well, and that will be interesting. But as far as Cup goes, most of the Silly Season news is done. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Hill Talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. Uh, here's something interesting as well we're going to keep an eye on because I think there's going to be several of these at the end of the year, and that's crew chief changes, John. Um, it was announced this week. Uh, uh, Jermaine Racing made a couple announcements this week. They made an, a couple more an, an announcement today that they're going to uh, make changes to their engineering department, too. The engineers are not going to be back next year. But they announced yesterday that longtime crew chief Booty Barker will not return to the number 13 car next season. Uh, also, or Ty Dillon will return there next season, but not Booty Barker. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Booty's been there since 2010. He helped really build that organization and get them to the next level here and to a full-time association with Richard Childress Racing. And now he won't be uh, – he spent a year there. They've struggled at times this year, no doubt about it. But what are your thoughts on that 13 car?
0: I think it's sad sad for Booty Barker. I, he's one of the good guys in the sport. Uh, he's overcome a hell of a lot to get where he's at. Um, but he's also never really delivered. Um He's been a mid-pack car his whole career. Um, he's done okay with it, but, I mean, you look, he's been in the 13 car for Jermaine for a while, and he's had Casey Mears, and now he has Ty Dillon. He hasn't had a superstar driver. No matter what Richard Childers thinks about his grandson, Ty Dillon is not a superstar driver. Um, they've made pretty good with what um, money that Geico has brought to the 13 team, but I want there's two things going through my mind. It could be um, where Todd Parrott ends up there because with Todd Parrott, not being with um, Levine family, Todd Parrott's either going to go with Michael McDowell to the 34 car, which is a possibility, or Todd Parrott could stay in house with the children's band and go to the 13 car with Ty Dillon. Or it could be where, Ty Dillon, the Xfinity crew chief that was with him, uh, comes up whenever he was, he drove the Xfinity car for Childress. I think it's sad for Booty Barker. I mean, he's a good little crew chief. I used to love whenever him and Chad Knauss did the uh, crew chief show where those two and Larry McReynolds would do NASCAR performance on speed back in the day. Booty knows the car inside and out. And booty is a good crew chief he's just never had the shot with a superstar driver he's made the most of what he's had and you listen to booty he loves the sport i think booty will be a heck of a commentator he'll probably be one of your regulars on like um nbc or nascar america on nbc or um the fox uh weekday nascar show so i think booty's got a shot i mean got shot in the in the broadcast booth doing something but i also think uh it'd be great if he somehow found his way onto a good team and had a chance to do something with a good driver
1: yeah i mean it's been a a long time there and that's the thing you know i, I like booty barker a lot he's you, you i echo everything you said i think he's great um but there comes a time where, and I'm not for making changes just to make changes. You know, I'm for stability. I think, uh, I think it's Colin Cowherd who says the first sign of overreaction, the first sign of dysfunction is overreaction. Overreaction is the first sign of dysfunction. And, you know, so I don't like making changes. Crazy, crazy changes. But Booty's been there eight years. And they, I think, expected to compete for the chase and have a really good year this year with an alliance with Richard Childress Racing. Now, Richard Childress, racing's team from the bottom up I think is lack speed so I don't think what happened at the 13 car this year is his fault um you know when you look at him they're 24th in points it's a little disappointing uh, I think because you know especially when you when you put it together and say Casey Mears finished 23rd two years ago in the point standings and here we are with Ty Dillon with an RCR alliance and they're 24th so that's a little disappointing. Now, Ty Dillon's average finish is way up. Uh, so they, they've had some some flashes of brilliance, but they haven't had any top 10 finishes this year. It's been a little bit of disappointment year for them. But, again, I think Richard Childress's speed as a whole, as an organization from the bottom up, this includes JTG, this includes the 95, this includes the, 30, the uh, 13, and this includes the three Richard Childress racing cars, I think they've lacked speed this year as a whole. Yeah, they've won two races, but – a, a a win at Phoenix for Ryan Newman where he stayed out and got some track position, and a a fuel mileage win at Austin Dillon doesn't mask the fact that you've you're lacking speed at Richard Childress Racing. So I think they made this change because they were disappointed. And I understand that, but I don't think it was Booty Barker's fault at all. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who they bring in here. You mentioned Todd Parrott. That's a good that's a good suggestion. Todd's a great crew chief a smart smart guy he's had a really nice year with the 95 another option is Matt Borland who's the crew chief for the 27 car with Menard this season they haven't had the year they wanted either uh but Matt's a smart guy he's a technic he's a, he's a real technical guy he, he's an engineer uh so maybe he they bring him in and he hires his own engineers and they figure it out from there and work from there so uh i think Matt Borland Todd Parrott are definitely options here for that ride. Um, you know, and, and, you're right. You're right about booty Barker. I hope he catches on somewhere, John. It'd be nice to see him catch on somewhere.
0: Yeah. You also have uh, the guy who just got let go from Casey Kane's team as a possibility. Um, I forget who uh, brain dead for right now. Also Keith Kenny Francis, you know, yeah, Keith Rodden, Kenny Francis could possibly get back on a box sooner or later. Uh, I'm not sure how happy he is sitting there in the uh, technical department at Hendrick Motorsports. I think he, might want to get back on a box somewhere and show somebody what he can do. Um, And then there's the bunch of car chiefs out there, and there's a bunch of engineers out there who are looking for their shot to be on the box. I mean, the other part you're looking at, there's a chance Tony Gibson's um, not on the box at the 41 car because he said several times, I mean, he's getting old. I mean, it's not like he calls everybody old man because they're old. He calls them old man because he's old. And he's got grandchildren now and sort of probably like stay in the shop and build cars and um, not do the week to week out in the road until he's not out there for three or four weeks. He's like, Holy cow, I miss this. But I mean, Tony Gibson might be coming off the box. There might be an opening on the 41 box at Kurt, for Kurt Bush or whoever might be in there, even though it's going to be Kurt Busch. Um, back to the crew chief things. One of the things that surprised me was, that um, the 10 car, the crew chief for that, I was, exa- I was actually thinking Billy it was to be Mike ravage and not yeah. Billy Scott. I thought Billy Scott was going to end up on a 14 after the uh, blow-up they had at Talladega. But it seems like they worked that thing out because I was thinking Clint Boyer worked with Billy Scott before. They may end up going back together and putting Booga on the 10 car with Eric Almarola. But they announced Billy Scott's doing the 10. There's several crew chief possibilities and changes that could be coming up. And, I mean, you look, there's – they haven't really – ha, there's the um, um, Matt Kenseth crew chief in the 20 car.
1: Jason Ratcliffe. He's not back. Yeah.
0: He's not coming back. Jason Ratcliffe is sitting there looking for a box to sit on because um, Eric Jones is bringing his crew chief over with him from the 77. So there's going right. to be a lot of crew chief maneuvering going on over the next couple months.
1: Yeah, I think that's where it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, even when you look at a team like Front Row Motorsports, and I don't mean to bring them up because I, I like that organization, but they've talked about um, getting better. Front Row Motorsports, and I think Jermaine's in the same boat where they're kind of looking at it going, we, we're, we're getting the equipment. We've got to be better. We've got to make the next step. Uh, and what's the next step? Well, we've had these crew chiefs here for a while. Let's kind of change it up a little bit and throw it in there. Farmer Motorsports made a, a crew chief change earlier this year, getting rid of Don, Veteran, veteran crew chief Donnie Wingo, who's been on the box. You know, and people forget this about Donnie Wingo. Donnie Wingo worked for Bud Moore back in in 1990. He won races with Morgan Shepard at Bud Moore Racing, so Bud Moore Engineering. So he's been around forever. He's a great guy to have with an organization. But they moved him out of the 34 car and brought in Seth Barber, who was uh, uh, Bubba Wallace's crew chief in the Xfinity Series this year. So they brought him in. With Landon Castle, and I think they're going to make even maybe even more changes. You know, David reagan has got Derek Finley, who's who's been with that organization for a while. Um, so maybe you'll see a change there. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I do think maybe Bogaravich is a, is an interesting guy. Maybe like you said, maybe uh, Gibson comes off the box and move Bogaravich to Kurt Busch. Uh, and maybe bring in somebody else there. Jason Ratcliff out of a, out of a job. You talked about that. Uh, I don't know where he's going to land. Chris Gale comes over from. Uh, fr- furniture racing, you know, but the, you got the guys and the teams who there won't be any changes. You know, you look at like a Paul Wolf with Brad Keselowski, or a Rodney Childers with uh, Kevin Harvick, or a Cole Pern with Matt or Martin Truex Jr. You know, uh, uh, a um, Eric Phillips, Adam Stevens, excuse me, and Adam Stevens with Kyle Busch. Those, those, that duo. Those duos aren't going anywhere. There's there's about ten of them. You know, Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson, obviously that they're not going to go anywhere, right? Guys is going to stay in the eighty eight, but there's still, uh, you know, absolutely there's some opportunity for teams who really struggled. I don't know. If, I don't think. I don't know if you're going to see a change with Luke Lambert in the thirty one because they've kind of struggled this year. Uh, but there's certainly uh, opportunities out there, and I think that is where the silly season is really going to get interesting uh, as far as crew chiefs go. Yeah, it's going to be. And they got to make their moves here pretty soon
0: because it's not like you can do the crew chief switch in January. The crew chiefs have a lot of say of how the cars get built going forward. And there are a lot of people who are looking, especially the Chevy teams that aren't in the chase right now, which is pretty much everybody but Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott. Um, they're all looking forward to 2018. I bet you there's a bunch of them building Camaros right now, trying to get those things massaged and ready to go for when they get to Daytona because they want to come out of the box uh, really good in a Chevy because this year for Chevrolet has not been good at all. So you want to get your crew chief in place and get things going. It it will do much better. Yeah, no
1: doubt about it. I agree. I think you, By the time December hits, the beginning of December, you have to get everything figured out and get ready and start looking ahead to 2018. 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. Clayton Coldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight. Uh, We talked about the Stewart House Racing Press Conference earlier, John. It was very interesting. And Tony Stewart kind of accidentally stole uh, some of the spotlight from Eric Amarola being announced to 10 car by saying he might run some Xfinity Series races next year uh, on the road courses how real do you think that is? I mean, is this him just kind of saying, well, you know, I've, I'm, I'm toying with it. Uh, maybe he gets some some sponsorship money because there's no doubt some some company will say, I want Tony Stewart on, on an Xfinity Series car because he's a threat to win. Uh, how real do you think he is as far as 2018 goes? Uh, and how competitive do you think he'll be?
0: Um, on a road course, I think he'll be as competitive as you get. Um, especially in the Xfinity card, because he's still going to have Roush Yates horsepower underneath the hood, and on a road course, your aerodynamics don't mean as much. We know Tony Stewart hated the aerodynamic way that this thing is, and Tony Stewart is just as guilty as everybody else because um, he and Stewart Haas Racing put as many engin- hire as many engineers as everybody else does. It's not like he's sitting there going, okay, we're going to build our car like old uh, in days of thunder. Whenever you have Robert Duvall out in the, out in the barn building the one car for Cole trickle and he's massaging it and rubbing it. And it's like, we need you to do good Bessie or whatever. He names a the car. They got as many engineers, as everybody else. And because that's the way the sport is, but Tony Stewart, anytime he's on a road course, he was always dangerous. I mean, you look, his last win was at Sonoma and he, uh, Booger Ravitch made a good pit call to get him out front, but Tony Stewart did everything he could to keep it out front, even though he's on older tires. And then he found a way to kind of push Denny Hamlin out of the way on the final turn. I and mean, Tony Stewart on a road course is as good as you get. And I think it's a possibility for this year. I don't think he, he's one of those guys. He doesn't just say stuff to say stuff. He says it because it's a possibility. I think one of the things that's going to be interesting to see says he's got something big brewing on the horizon. I think it might be where he's running the 24 hours of Daytona for Roger Penske. That's what I'm seeing out of that, but it's something that's still there to be
1: determined. Yeah. That'd be interesting to see. I mean, there's no doubt Tony is a guy who loves racing. You know, uh, he, he races as much as he possibly can still, you know, so <laughs> you could tell me he's going to run whatever, and I believe you, and he'll come back and run Indianapolis, and i be like, yeah, I believe you, because he, he just loves the race, and he's, he'll get in anything he possibly can if he wants to, uh, for sure. Um, well, I can
0: promise you he's never coming back to Indianapolis because Roger Penske has told him he has, Tony Stewart wants to run Indianapolis again. Roger Penske will put a car underneath him, and Tony Stewart said, I'm too old, and I'm too fat, and there's no way I'm cutting that much weight to be able to get in the car. He can barely <laughs> fit in the car now. So, um, but the, the opportunity's there, but Tony continues to say, there's no way I'm coming back. I, I've been away too long. It's nothing I'm going to be able to just hop in the car and go because 230 mile an hour at Indy is a whole different world than doing 17 second laps on a half mile dirt track in a sprint car where you're turning, your wheel is turning right for you to go left. I mean, I think it's, The Indianapolis chance is long gone, but I could see Tony Stewart getting an Xfinity car and doing a road course or two. I could see Tony Stewart hopping in um, one of the Daytona prototypes with Roger Penske and running for that this year. I could see him hopping in um, because Roger Penske's putting a full-time team in with with the road racing. I could see him hopping in that for a couple races. I might even see... Tony Stewart trying to find a way to do 24 hours of LeMond. So you never know. Tony Stewart's going to – whatever Tony Stewart wants to do, he's going to do. And that's one of the things that I'd trade for. I mean, there's a lot of people who have lives that you just look and go, wow, I'd really like to have that life.
1: Tony Stewart's got that life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he he's enjoyed himself and, and being a race car driver and doing all the things he's done in a race car – it's pretty awesome, no doubt about it. 917 Clayton Call, John Harlow with you. John, I don't know if you saw this, and this is something uh, that kind of flew under the radar a little bit as far as um, news releases go, but NASCAR announced their start times for 2018. And every race on the East Coast in the daytime either starts at 2.30, 2, or 3 o'clock. Uh, what are your thoughts on the start times? Uh, three as well. There's on the West coast. You got 3:30 starts, but what are your thoughts on the start times? A lot of people are opinionated about this because they look at it and they say, I want my race to start at one o'clock. Like when I turn on for me example, when I turn on a, uh, Fox on Sunday in the fall, I know I'm getting my football game at one o'clock. I don't have to, if I don't want to watch the pregame show, I don't have to do that because I know at one o'clock they're kicking off and I'm ready to go. I don't have to worry about anything else. Um, is this a mistake? Where do you think this comes from, and what are your thoughts on, on these start times here? Uh, I know we've done it this year, but it wasn't to this compa- capacity. Uh, we tried it in years past, and they flip-flop and came back to 1 p.m. starts, but now they're back to 2, 3 o'clock starts on the East Coast. What are your thoughts on that?
0: This is decided by the suits at Fox and NBC. And Brian France and the boys down in Daytona Beach just nod their head up and down because they got a billion-dollar TV contract and NASCAR is hemorrhaging money. So if the TV networks say, we're going to do it at 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock, they're going to say, sure, whatever you want. The races where you have the biggest problem is the July race and the June race at Pocono. Even though they shortened the race to 400 miles, you've been there, I've been there. 400 miles at Pocono seems like an eternity, and it's a good race. I mean, I enjoy—I always enjoyed going to Pocono, but it takes forever because it's a two and a half mile track where you take you're turning 55 second laps during the race. So for them to do um, 166 laps or 160 laps, it's going to take 160 minutes, easy. So you're looking at almost three hours to run the race from start to finish because you're going to have the cautions in there, you're going to have everything else. You're looking at least three hours from start to finish for 400 miles of Pocono. If they start the race at 3, if they go on at 2.30 and the race doesn't start till 2.45, almost 3 o'clock, you're looking at 6 o'clock. If there's any kind of weather, because it's such a big track, and you know how Pocono is, it can be raining in turn one, and -hmm. it can be a bright, sunny day in turn three. And in turn two, a deer can come across the tunnel turn, and that makes it even more fun. But any kind of rain at Pocono, you've already got a rain-shortened race. Because I don't think they can drive that track in under an hour, so you're looking at 7 o'clock. And then if there's any kind of hassle, in, and that's if it's just a quick shower and they have to take an hour to start, if it rains for any length of time, you're looking at 8, 8.30, and it'll be like Indianapolis was this year where you needed people out there with flashlights so you could see the cars. I don't think that works. The reason NASCAR agreed to what NBC and Fox wants is for the people going to the racetrack, they want the 1 o'clock start because they have to get home. They have to go to work the next day. Fox wants and NBC wants the West Coast audience. And some of them are in church on Sunday mornings. And they don't get the live audience at 10, 11 o'clock like they do at 12, 1 o'clock on the West Coast. So I think that's the exact reason why they did it, to get the viewers on the West Coast to pay attention to NASCAR. That's the only reason I see it working.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right on that, John. I think that's got a lot to do with it. But you touched on an interesting point, and it's something I talk about with these start times all the time: is going to the racetrack. I think this hurts it. You know, I I always say, listen, uh, I live four hours from from Dover, and I will I go to Dover. There's no doubt about it. But it is a I get I will get in late when that race is over, and I got to work the next day, and that's frustrating. And that might prevent me from saying, you know what? I'm not going to go where if the race, and even though it's only an hour, it's an hour. And, you know, it's an hour more rest I could get when I go into work. It would prevent me from going to Dover. And I think there's some people out there who look at that and go, yeah, I don't want to get in at 10, 11 o'clock at night when I can get in at nine. Uh, So to me, I agree with you. I think – it's not that big of a deal as far as me sitting on my couch and watching it. If I'm a race fan, I'm going to watch the race anyway. Uh, I think we've kind of become this year at least accustomed to, while well, the football game's on, I've got to wait for my my race to come on. And that's frustrating. Um, I think it's a lot better now that we don't have a four-hour pre-race show prior to uh, a two o'clock start like we had a bunch of years ago. But at the end of the day, I think what it hurts is the – People coming to the racetrack, but you know, like you said, TV is the big money, is the big force behind this. As far as the money is concerned, they pay a lot of money to go out there and and broadcast these races, and they're going to get what they want, and that's ultimately the 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 reality of it all. And
0: when you think about the TV contract, I mean, they're going to get what they want. But when they did move the start times back to one o'clock, it's not like they're selling out everywhere. Most Mm -hmm. of the tracks are downsizing their grandstands. I remember when Dover was 130,000 people there. I mean, every time you turned around, went back to Dover, there was a new set of grandstands up there. And now Dover seats 75, if you're lucky. And they took a bunch of seats out of Charlotte. They took the whole backstretch down from Daytona. Um, Phoenix is going to lose seating when they change the configuration of that around, which is going to be totally weird where all the seats are in turn one and two. Um, Everywhere you go, seats are coming down. It's not like they're filling it up. I mean, you look at Texas last week, and Texas usually does well when it comes to attendance. There were a hell of a lot of people there disguised as silver bleachers. And I think NASCAR's almost got to the point where they don't care how many people are in the seats. They care about a TV rating, and care about what NBC and Fox are paying, and that's what they're going with. I mean, like I said, when I went to uh, Kansas a couple years ago, we talked to the people at the I talked to the people at the Speedway, and they said they could go and run every race, not sell one ticket, not sell one T-shirt, not sell one piece of food or one bite of food, not one beer, and they turn a profit because NASCAR owns fifty percent of the casino outside of Turn Two. So they're going to be fine. NASCAR is going to be okay, whether people are there or not. I think it lessens up the show. I mean, you look, one of the things, um, like for the New England Patriots, they're diehard diehard Patriot fans up here in uh, New England. They built that stadium for 68,000 people. There's been a waiting list for season tickets since they built the stadium in 2001. And because people are always wanting to get in. Now they have NASCAR where there's so many seats and nobody's trying to get in. You could probably go on StubHub the day of the race and buy a ticket that's start-finish line three-quarters of the way up, the best seat in the house. And you probably pay half of the cost of what it is whenever you buy it from uh, the track. Because people aren't just clamoring to get in seats. I'm looking right now, if I wanted to go to the Buffalo game on Christmas Eve in New England, the upper deck seats are $95. And on StubHub right now, the seats for the Buffalo game on Christmas Eve at 1 o'clock is 300 bucks.
1: It's supply and demand. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, to get back to it all, I think when you think about the start times and you think about all that, you know, there's a lot of peace, people to please, but at the end of the day, uh, if I, I just, I hope this isn't hurting the ratings. Um, and to me, they don't want to go up against the NFL. If that's part of that, I think it's a bad strategy because if I'm a fan who's him and in between both the race and the NFL, If you get me to the NFL and I'm watching the NFL before your product, I'm not even going to flip back to the race because I'm in my game already. But if I'm you know, sitting there going, oh, you know what? I'm going to watch the race first and let the game kind of get in there. At least I'll watch the race, and maybe I'll get into the race a little bit. So if the strategy is that they think that they're afraid to go against the NFL, um, then that, to me – is a bad strategy. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here. Last ten minutes of talking in circles tonight. Let's preview the KM five hundred at Phoenix, John. Um it's a, a track that's newly configured. They it seems like they configure Phoenix every five reconfigure Phoenix every five years here now. Um a unique racetrack, a racetrack that Kevin Harvick had his hands uh, and and him and Rodney Childers in that four car had a had their hands around And really figured it out um, He won at Texas He's coming off a win at Texas Do you think he can go out there And win Phoenix again uh, And if not, who's the favorite to win this weekend Oh, I
0: Until Somebody shows me differently I'd pick Kevin Harvick, Harvick to win at Phoenix um, They weren't that good In the spring this year But also we also know the difference Of how much change there was the difference between the Ford and the Chevy and Kevin Hart. I mean, Stuart Haas, the guys, Stuart Haas never said, Hey, we aren't getting our arms wrapped around this Ford. They just said, Hey, we're digging, we're digging. It just isn't, we're not, we're not hitting. We're just digging. And they didn't have their arms wrapped around the Ford when they were at Phoenix. And Kevin Harvick was a 10th, 15th place car at Phoenix, which is something he never is. Um, If there's one thing Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers proved on Sunday, they have their arms wrapped around this car. And there's no black helicopters because the top three passed inspection and they all uh, were clean. There were no penalties coming out of Texas this week. They've got their arms wrapped around this car now. And they passed Martin Truex Jr. on a mile and a half track and pulled away. And that hasn't been done all year. It's usually only done on a restart if anybody can get past Truex, and then Truex finds a way to get by him 10, 15 laps later. Um, I think they got their arms wrapped around it, and I think they'll be fine at Phoenix. I think Harvick's the guy to beat. Um, And there's going to be a lot of people driving with desperation. Brad Keselowski is going to drive. If I'm him, I I mean, you drive conservative to make sure you end up one of the four that's going to get in you got to stay ahead of everybody else and get your stage points and everything, but you want to stay out of trouble. But I think Jimmy Johnson, I think Chase Elliott, I think um, Ryan Blaney, those guys are going to be crazy. They're going to take every chance they can. They're going to push the envelope in every way possible. They're going to move people out of the way like Ryan Newman did the one year to make it to Homestead. Because they're in desperation mode. Everybody's got a win to be in. Because right now Keselowski has a 19 point lead on the fifth place car. So if you're fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, you're driving desperate. You're going to take a lot of chances on pit road. And the one thing with it being the Can Am 500, it's 500 kilometers, so it's only 312 miles, which means it's a quick race. You can do that, that race on three pit stops, and you don't have many chances to adjust on your car during the race. Track position is still key no matter where you go, and we Ryan Newman showed it this spring. You stay out, mm-hmm. and then he stayed out on 30-lap older tires and stayed ahead and won on the green-white checker. So track position is key, so you're going to see a lot of gambling going on for the cars that are in 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th in points.
1: Yeah, and it, and those guys, like you said, they have to win um, pretty much. I mean, Brad Kozlowski's got a a about a 19-point lead over Denny Hamlin for fourth. Uh, three gu- drivers are already locked in. Martin Truex Jr. is locked in via his points. Kyle Busch locked in via his win at Martinsville. And Kevin Harvick's locked in via his win at Texas Motor Speedway. So basically, it is a win-and-you're-in in, in mentality. It's going to be qu- crazy, like you said. Um, these guys are going to be pushing the envelope – you got five drivers going for one spot and it's going to be fun to watch. This is a short track type race. That's what I like about Phoenix. It runs sort of like a short track. It's sort of like a road course all in one. It's a unique racetrack. It's a good racetrack. Um, you know, and like I said, it's a track and Harvick has really dominated. Um, I just, I'm dying to see who, who will get in because I think it's, it's pretty open. Um, you know, cause Lasky is in good shape. I'm interested to see how he races this race you know, you got to bring your best piece here if you're this two team and, and Team Penske and Paul Wolf and Brad Keselowski because, you know, you want to do everything you possibly can to win and keep that momentum going. Uh, and you can't have an accident because if you wreck and lose those 19 points, you're in big trouble, uh, especially nowadays with the fact that you can't come back out on the racetrack when you're towed to the garage. So Brad's got to be patiently aggressive here and not damage anything, or he could be in trouble here. So he's kind of in a very, very unique spot where, points-wise, he might have to play it a little safe, but if somebody that is in the playoffs is winning, he's got to go up there and race his guts out. So he's kind of in a really tough spot there for that two-team. Yeah, it's one of those ones where
0: it's like if you're the leader with five laps to go do you stay out and watch everybody behind you come in, or do you come in and watch everybody behind you stay out? He's sort of like that when he takes the green flag. Um, The person who I think is uh, the sleeper, even though he's fifth in points right now, is Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin runs really good on flat tracks. Uh, Phoenix is a lot like Richmond, and Denny Hamlin loves Richmond. He grew up at Richmond. He does really well there. Um, I think it's either going to be Keselowski or Hamlin. I don't think Blaney or the 200 cars of Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson have a shot. Um, I think all of them are bringing their best piece because whatever they would drive at Homestead is not what they would drive this week. So they've already got everything locked in of what they're going to run and I'm telling you qualifying is going to be important because pit stall selection is important and I hope I mean one of the biggest the biggest challenge everybody's going to have right now when they unload and go through inspection, if they don't make it through inspection and they start 34th, like some of them did last week, you mm-hmm. might as well just check them, check the box and say, thanks for playing. Have good luck at going for fifth
1: and points next week, because you're not going to be in the top four. Yeah. We saw it with uh, Jimmy Johnson at Martinsville where he had uh, an issue in qualifying and spun how had to use the backup car and he could never, and that was a that's a racetrack that Jimmy Johnson historically is phenomenal at. And that 48 team, and they could never get the track position at Martinsville to come through the to to win to run up front. They were a top 10 car, but they could never get to the front because the initial start. And if they started in the front, and ca- it's much easier to to keep your track position by staying in the front than it is to gain it because everybody's doing it, trying to do the same thing a lot of times everybody's on the same pit cycle. few times now, and, and it's a lot more now with, with these stages built in, that you're on a different pit cycle than everybody else. You know, and that's where, if you're on a different pit cycle, that's where you can maybe pick up some points where if you're on a different strategy, pick up some positions um, than what it would be if, you're, if everybody's staying the same way where you've got to pass them on the pit road and pass them on the racetrack. But Jimmy could never get his track position back. So you bring up a great point where you don't want to start in the rear. You want to pass inspection, but you got to bring the fastest race car up, you know, and, and push the limits to the very, very edge because if you don't, somebody else is going to be doing it, and you're going to be in big trouble. So um, at the end of the day, I think you it, it puts these teams in a very interesting box, um, especially that two-car. I talked about it before. I'd rather be in a winner-in situation than I would be where I am with the two-car because you can get in on your points, and, and maybe they're going to sit there, and their strategy is let's race like uh, like we have to win and get in. And if we fall back on our points, so be it. But I just can't help but wonder if Kozlowski goes three wide in the turn two on lap 225 it causes a huge wreck. And he misses the chase by one point, and you sit there and go, well, did he really need to make it three wide at that point? You know, so it just puts in a, a different mind frame, and it's a position that they're in, they're in better shape than the guys behind them, but as far as the race is concerned, they're in a very tough spot.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, what I'm if I'm Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolfe, I'm going out there with the Martin Truex Jr. version of going into the race. I'm going to get every stage point I can get. I can Because, I mean, if he goes out and wins two stages, he has 20 points going on with what he ends up pulling at the end of the day. So those first two stages mean something to uh, Brad Keselowski. They mean more to him than anything does for Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, or Jimmy Johnson. Those stage points aren't going to help them. The only thing that's going to help them is the checkered flag at the end of the day. Brad Keselowski needs those stage points to make sure he stays ahead of those guys if they don't win. Um, And then at the third stage, then it's like, okay, let's see where we're at. And then if somebody has trouble, you know, that you don't have to worry about like if Denny Hamlin somehow gets into something early, Keselowski can then play points, go points racing. But until then, you go out with the Truex version of try
1: to get every stage point possible. Yeah, I think that's a great strategy. It's worked for Truex this year, that's for sure. Um, and I, listen, this is gonna be interesting at the end of this race because we'll be talking about who's running for the championship in all three series. So all three series this weekend at Phoenix International Raceway: Truck Series on Friday night, Xfinity Saturday, and then you got the Cup guys on sunday i want to thank everybody for listening to talking in circles tonight uh if you like what you heard give us a like on facebook uh follow us on twitter at talking and circles uh you can like our facebook page as well uh we're posting a lot of stuff there um and we'll be discussing this race next time we, we meet here on talking in circles we will discuss in phoenix and getting ready for the championship race at homestead miami speedway and if anything happens any major news breaks prior to or or between all that we'll be here as well on talking in circles uh final thoughts john as we get ready for phoenix i'm looking forward to seeing
0: what happens i mean when you have five people going for one spot there's a good chance all hell will break loose and that's going to be something to watch
1: that's for sure and we'll see you next time on talking in circles good night everybody